the word of our Lord from the Gospel of Mark. And when Jesus had gone a little farther from there, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were also in the boat, mending their nets. And immediately Jesus called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and went after Jesus. Now the word of our Lord from the epistle to the Ephesians. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that you would bless it as we have read it. And we pray that you would bless us as we hear from it. We pray that you would minister to us that you would encourage us and challenge us. And Lord, we pray that this day you would meet with us and minister your grace to us. We pray in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Yes, I have called my dad already, although I did get his voicemail. Um, I left him a message and promised him that I would call him a little bit later on today. And the funny thing, at least I say funny thing, not like ha-ha funny, but just kind of amusing to me, is I know why I got his voicemail. Because he's at church. He's in Sunday school. I thought, well, I'm an hour ahead, it'd be all right. I called and then I realized, nope, their Sunday school's already begun. His phone is off because... He's where he ought to be. You know, growing up, I never knew, uh, or I never failed to know where I was going to be the next day when it was a Saturday night. When it was a Saturday night, we knew clothes were getting laid out and everything's getting ready so that we can make that mad dash to get ready on Sunday morning to jump in the car and then head to church. It was what you do. Yesterday, um, at the close of our AIM annual meeting, some of you have been asking me about it this morning. Yesterday, we were closing up shop, and uh, I'm passing out, I'm past parish relations chairman, so I'm passing out uh, proof of, uh, of uh, credentials to those that hold credentials with our association. And I'm talking with a man who's pastor of a church in Oxford, Mississippi, gorgeous town. Um, and he says, how's your dad doing? So we talked about my dad for a little bit. And he tells me, your dad's one of the best men I've ever met. At the moment, I wasn't thinking how appropriate it was to be hearing that on the day before Father's Day. But as I was thinking last night, I thought, that's very interesting. He didn't make the connection. I didn't make the connection at the time. 
But that was an encouraging thing for me to hear. And I had to agree with him. He's, yeah, he's an incredible man. He's an incredible man. He's an incredible father. And he's an incredible servant of God. He's not a pastor of a church. He's not a missionary on the other side of the globe. Didn't hold a you know, high-paying, significant job in the, in the, the scheme of, of how the world works. But he was a good and a faithful man. And he showed me strength. Not just physical strength, but strength of character. Strength of heart and mind. You know, Scripture is explicit concerning men and who they are to be. And fathers especially. Our culture in the West has, in recent, recent decades really, not just recent years, not just you know, the times that we've begun to notice in the media a little bit more common, but for the last few decades, Western culture has, has been engaged in assault against fatherhood. We have eroded the family we have destroyed masculinity and we have destroyed especially what it means to be a dad. You've heard me say before, my dad had a little, I guess you'd call it a placard or, or something on his wall right above his chest of drawers. My mom had a dresser. My dad had a chest of drawers. I think that's just always been the, the lady has this and the guy has that. And above his chest of drawers, um, as a kid, I always called it chest of drawers. I didn't know that it was actually chest of drawers. <laughs> but he had this little placard that said, any man can be a father. It takes someone special to be a dad. And that's what we're talking about. On Father's Day. That's what we think about. Not just the ability to procreate, not just the ability to have offspring, but the ability to shape character, the ability to show faithful love. And our culture is devoid of that in many ways today because we have kicked it out. We have, for whatever reason, wanted nothing to do with it. And if you're interested in that topic, then hold tight because in a few weeks we'll be dealing with some of the cultural crises that we find ourselves in and what the gospel says about them and what the church declares about this culture that is in crisis. And we'll deal with topics such as sexuality and marriage, truth, But this morning, I want to draw your attention to an interesting, perhaps fad, an interesting um, development over these last few years. There's been a growing interest, it seems, in pop culture, perhaps sub-pop culture, but it's made its way out into pop culture. This, this growing interest in manliness. Hey, I listened to 
the art of manliness. I actually have their app on my phone and I can listen to podcasts and whatnot. And they sell swag where you can get shirts with mustaches on them and things like that. They've created a whole brand about manliness. Often this interest in manliness is is symbolized in caricatured images of it. We think of facial hair, and that's kind of become common in our culture again. These epic beards, and I like to point out I had beard, I had a beard, and my friends had beards before beards became cool again. These epic beards and these Raleigh fingers mustaches that take us back to the turn of the previous century. Images of pipes and monocles. Folks, often scrawny folks, decked out in these big lumberjack-looking outfits, wearing plaids and leather and whatnot. There is a growing interest in manliness, and it may just be a fad, but I think part of the reason why it has become such a sensation or such a cultural hit is because we've been starved of masculinity. We have been starved of fatherhood. We see crime rates that are directly related to the presence or absence of the father in a home. And we bury our heads in the sand as a culture and, and act as though that stuff doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that there's a direct proportionality between what goes on in the home, and then what happens behind bars down the road. On Mother's Day, I was joking with the dads. I took, a, took the opportunity to make a little cheap shot at the dads about, you know, we always get beat up on Father's Day. So come on, come on out in a few weeks for your, your annual beating up. And Bill pulled me aside afterwards, and he was joking. He said, I just want to let you know, I'm going to go ahead and uh, RSVP, I will not be attending Father's Day if I'm going to get beat up again. And I uh, assured him, no, 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 I promise I'll, I will try my best to, to be encouraging. We've been beat up enough. Let's be honest. Let's shoot straight, particularly men, man to man, just by being here to worship the triune God you fathers are already better than most men. That may be quite a bold statement, but it's true. Good for you. You're here. You're doing something right. And not just something right, you're doing the most important thing in life, right? As I mentioned on Mother's Day, anytime we talk about motherhood and fatherhood, particularly mom and dad, we are always drawn in our minds to ideals. And we have... We have this moment where 
reality meets the ideals or perhaps doesn't meet the ideals where we realize, okay, we can idealize what it means to be a father and we can idealize what it means to be a mother. But what about my dad and my mom? What about me as a dad or me as a mom? But that, that, that issue of dealing with ideals is impossible to avoid. In ancient cultures, really up until the mid-20th century, manliness was defined by courage and strength. It was defined by excellence. It was defined by intelligence. Which is funny because part of the unraveling of manhood and fatherliness in our culture has been the representation of fathers as the dunce, the buffoon. But up until the mid-20th century, manliness was defined also by virtue. But especially, manliness was defined by self-control. The ability to keep oneself together. The ability to be able to do the hard thing in the hard moment because it's the right thing in the right moment. The ability to keep one's emotions in check, to keep one's desires in check, and passions and hungers in check. We see this sort of ancient um, image of, of manliness in Homer's Iliad and Odyssey writings. This strength and this cleverness, intelligence, and courage, bravery, but especially self-control. The pagan idea of self-control was primarily concerned with a lack of emotion or being wholly unaffected by anything outside of oneself. To be manly was to be unaffected, to be held together so well that you're almost closed off, closed off from things that can get the emotions riled up, things that can that can shake you from your stability. But it was a very personal and individualized understanding of what it meant to be a man. And this is seen in ancient art. It's seen in ancient literature. It's seen in our statues. It's seen philosophically in the rise of Stoicism in the ancient world. But the biblical idea of self-control is far different. According to the scriptures, one is able to maintain self-control even when emotional. And even perhaps especially when affected by things outside of oneself. Paul tells us earlier in Ephesians, be angry but do not sin. There's a difference in the scriptures between Righteous anger and unrighteous rage. Just as there's a difference in the scriptures between temperance and drunkenness. We consider the examples of some of the manliest men history has ever seen 
in the pages of Scripture. Men like Job, who lost everything, who found life unraveling and spinning out of control, who did get emotional, who got frustrated and angry and scared, and yet maintained his character, maintained control of himself, even while being affected by circumstances outside of his control. We consider Paul and Peter We consider Moses and David and Abraham. These were manly men. Strong men. Some of the most manly dudes who ever walked this earth. The scriptures are replete with examples of what it looks like to be strong in the Lord. To have confidence in Him and who He's made us to be. But how do the Scriptures define fatherhood? I want to consider a couple of big ideas with you. The first is that fathers are intended to model responsibility before their children. It's on us, dads. Yeah, if dad's absent, can mom step in? Of course. And if both dad and mom are are absent, yes, an aunt and an uncle can take in and adopt. And and there, there are all sorts of exceptions. All sorts of ways where we can wiggle out of the responsibility, but the responsibility is still on us. Fathers are intended to model what it looks like to be responsible before their children. And because of that, dads, we must take responsibility. Part of what it means to model responsibility before children is to admit when you're wrong. And not just admit, but apologize. I mentioned that this idea of virtue and strength of character was one of the ideals of manliness. And it has been throughout the centuries, throughout the millennia. And the ability to take responsibility and to admit when we're wrong and the ability to be able to to apologize for our wrongs speaks to honesty and honor. Part of modeling responsibility before our children, and this is not just our children in the sense of the kids that I've had, but Our children in the sense that the children that surround my life. Part of it also includes 
the responsibility to work hard. You know, we often, we often think of work as just kind of a necessary evil. It's what we do because you got to pay the bills and you got to pay the bills in order to enjoy life or at least live life. And so we think of work as this boring and tiresome thing that, well, it's my lot in life. But modeling responsibility through working hard is not just about providing. It is that also. But it's also about modeling what it is to cultivate and modeling what it is to create. Modeling what it is to, to, to have passion in what you're doing. Even if it seems like what you're doing is mundane. It's part of being an image bearer. When God told Adam and Eve to have dominion over the earth. Implicit in that and even directly and explicitly commanded in that was the command to work. To create, to subcreate. And kids need to see moms and dads, yes, but dads especially, working hard and taking responsibility, for they are called of God to model responsibility before their children. Train them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That is not a picture of fatherhood that just assumes whatever will be, will be, and they'll turn out all right, we guess. Notice that when Jesus came to James and John, they were with their father and they were working. They were hard at work with their dad. One who modeled responsibility. One who showed them what it was to work hard. And being a fisherman in the ancient world was one of the hardest of jobs. Physically tiresome and grueling and also extraordinarily dangerous. Fathers are intended to model responsibility before their children because those little eyes are looking at us. They are absorbing. They are they're learning to tie their shoes and say mama and daddy after all by copying us. But fathers are also responsible before God for their families. In God's wisdom, He has ordered creation so that it is just as a pastor stands before God on the day of judgment to give account for the responsibility that was entrusted to Him for the church that God called Him to minister to and lead. 
So also will fathers stand before God and give an account, be held responsible for what has become of their families. Children certainly have their own wills. They have their own ability to choose otherwise because that's what freedom is. But to the extent that we influenced and to the extent that we took our influence and our responsibility seriously, we will give an account. Fathers are responsible before God for their families. They are called to be anchors. That's why we passed out these little anchor lapel pins. You see, I got kind of creative and put it in my little buttonhole that I wasn't using here. On the way over, I asked Lindsay, where are you supposed to put a lapel pin if you don't have a lapel? She said, well, as a lady, we never have lapels. We just put it there. We brainstormed on the way over, and I decided during service when I was given my anchor that I'd put it right there. Dads are called to be anchors, the anchor of the family, providing strength and stability. Providing stability in the harbor of life. Providing the strength of iron that can't be broken. This is not just about a call to have an outer exterior that is impenetrable. This is about having strength of character. And not just strength of character, but stability faithfulness and my goodness our culture is riddled with filled like cancer with unfaithfulness unfaithful dads have led to unfaithful wives and have led to families that care not for one another and and neighborhoods that have no interest in one another and our neighborhoods and our families and our culture are falling apart dads are expected to be around to show up to do more than just earn a check and I don't want to be preaching to the choir and you know talking bad about everybody else outside the walls and encouraging ourselves but I do want to encourage you dads because you're present you're around you show up and you do more than just earn a check Again, I can't emphasize enough the fact that James and John were with their dad working. Working hard when Jesus came along and said, follow me. I can't emphasize it enough because of the significance of them being with their dad, but also because of the significance of what then happens next. 
the scriptures tell us immediately they left their nets and they followed Jesus. And it tells us nothing of Zebedee, their father's response. You don't see Zebedee saying, no, 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 wait, wait, wait. You've got a responsibility to me, to us, to this family. He seems to just let them leave. And fathers, part of their responsibility before God for their families is that they are expected to not hinder the will of Christ. Paul told the Ephesians, fathers, do not provoke your children, which is kind of, for me, it's humorous. I imagine the Ephesians, it probably wasn't humorous. I imagine there's something culturally there that kind of falls flat on me, but I think, you know, of poking the bear. Dads, don't poke the bear. But the command then is train them up, nurture them in the admonition of the Lord. Teach them what it is to follow Jesus. And when He comes and calls them, when He puts His hand upon their lives, do not hinder Him. But gladly support it. There is an opportunity that awaits us that awaits us I don't want to think just as a culture because sometimes that is too big and too overwhelming but there is an opportunity that awaits us as a congregation there's an opportunity that awaits us as families as people here in this community To model what faithful love looks like. To model what never quittingness looks like. To model what strength looks like. And character looks like. And God has given us every grace to rise to the occasion. And to lay a hold of that opportunity to begin in some small measure. Some might seem insignificant in too small measure. But in some small measure to grab a hold of that opportunity and to begin changing the world. But we will never change the world. We will never change culture until God changes us. Because that's how this thing works. He changes us and He changes our families and He changes our other relationships and the tide begins to work its way out. 
Again, God has given us every grace that is needed. Dads, be encouraged. I cannot emphasize enough. You are here. Let us give thanks for the blessing of life and for the blessing of fathers in our lives. And let us prepare if we are fathers to be better fathers and even if we aren't fathers to be better men and even if we aren't men to be better people to model faithful love and strength of character. Let's pray.